0: Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1140, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991;
1: to Boston,
0: Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, CBS XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app
2: at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
3: And good morning, I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keene and Michael McKee, and the opening bell brought to you by the University of North Carolina's Keenan-Flagler Business School. Master your balance sheet with their world-class Master of Accounting, Executive Development, and MBA programs. Visit unc.edu slash business. Futures, or rather stocks, are lower this morning. The S&P 500 is down four-tenths percent, or eight points, to 2057. Dow Jones Industrial Average down four-tenths percent, or 68 points, to 17,668. The Nasdaq's down 7 tenths percent, or 35 points, to 48.56. Ten-year Treasury up 11.30 seconds. The yield 1.72 percent. The yield on the two-year, 0.72 percent. NYMEX crude oil is little change. It's down 4 cents to 35.65 a barrel. And COMEX Gold is up 1.2 percent, or $14, to 12.33.30 an ounce. The euro, 13.68. The yen won 10.51. Tom and Mike.
4: Uh, thank you, Karen. It is a good time to catch up with Jacob Kierkegaard of Adam Posen's Peterson Institute, as he provides terrific and thoughtful perspective on Europe. We talked earlier of Greece with Nick Malkoutsis and Jacob, if I can take it broader, um, I make charts, and sometimes they surprise me. I did nominal GDP, the animal spirit of America, recovering persistent better, and I was thunderstruck in the rollover of nominal GDP in Europe exactly how bad is it across the eurozone
2: well i mean there's no doubt that that this is a part of the world that is stuck in what looks like increasingly a structural growth crisis to the extent where i think in a number of countries uh, particularly of course in southern europe and of course in greece in particular you have to start asking yourself well what is uh the way out uh to to restore or, or to <clears throat> to increase nominal gdp growth when you are in the common currency of course the uh, uh real world reality is that uh, trying to undo this would be infinitely worse so you are stuck uh, uh in a shall we say at least semi-bad equilibrium which will require a lot of political uh tough political reforms to get out of to restore these uh, you know, sustainable nominal GDP growth rates, and it's not clear the political will is there.
0: Well, are you of the opinion that they will find the will, that uh, nothing, as the old saying goes, concentrates the mind like a hanging, or um, is it more likely that uh, they can't all stay together?
2: No, I mean, I think ultimately the uh situation that we have seen, you know, uh, all over, I mean, repeat itself in Greece again and again suggests that no, a solution will be found, uh, not necessarily, again, to uh, go back to the, shall we say, good old days where you had, you know, GDP, nominal GDP growth of three, four, five percent. Uh, if not more, but at least enough to stay together for the reason being that, well, the alternative, namely breaking up, is uh, uh, is so unpleasant for everyone involved uh, that you will do whatever it takes to avoid that. But it doesn't mean that you actually make uh, the euro area uh, an area that is growth, uh, which has growth just like
0: uh, we were used to just a few years ago well in uh, in that case uh do you have a time frame i know you're not supposed to make a forecast and a time frame but do you have a time frame when when this might happen are we just going to keep punting uh the ball down the field yeah. for month after month year after year as we've done for the last 4 or 5 years
2: well I mean I think it's it's uh it's very clear to me at least that I mean when you talk about the eurozone if you take the three biggest economies Germany France and Italy uh German growth uh is not great but it's also you know not nearly as bad as the eurozone average uh it is however a country that really that did a lot of very good reforms uh, almost 10 years ago uh by Angela Merkel's predecessor Angela Merkel is nominally uh, is certainly a very reluctant domestic reformer so I don't expect big things uh from Germany as long as she remains chancellor which would probably be until the end of this decade uh in my opinion at least um in France we have a new election uh presidential election next year uh <clears throat> I I think it is possible that we get uh, a more reformist uh president uh in, elected there Um, So there the time frame would be sometime after 2017. Uh, In Italy, um, I think the reality is that uh, Matteo Renzi uh, has probably gone as far as he can without a new political mandate. Uh, The question is, when does he want to take that mandate? He still needs to have his new election law uh, finalized. uh, And then it becomes really a matter of domestic politics but again I think we're looking at a new election there in 2017-2018 yeah. before we start seeing real action. and
4: Jacob Bloomberg has a conversation uh, Jacob Krueger joining us folks from Peterson Institute uh, we have a conversation with Secretary Kerry coming up or David Weston will do that you'll hear it on Bloomberg radio in the 11 hour and in Jacob the nexus of Europe in the US is maybe not Brexit but is Turkey you've written on this recently is there a different dialogue with Turkey now or is it the same thing we learned in our history books?
2: Um, well, there's no doubt that Turkish clout, if you like, or influence over Europe right now is probably as high as it has been, you know, since they were at the gates of Vienna uh, in the 16th century or something like that. Uh, because, uh, you know, the European mainstream politicians are are very scared, and I think rightfully so, uh, uh, about this immigration uh, situation. And they have viewed, of course, led by Angela Merkel, that they need to get some sort of accommodation with the Turkish government and President Erdogan to try to deal with this, because they recognize that the domestic politics in m- most European countries will not sustain uh, another year of, say, a million uh, migrants streaming across the borders in a sort of unmanaged uh, manner. Uh, so they have they have basically uh, tried to bribe and and with a lot of political concessions, money and other things. Uh, clearly, the implicit uh, agreement that they look the other way when uh, Erdogan closes uh, down Turkish opposition newspapers and things like that to try to get him to help uh, help out.
0: Well we've uh, we've got the warmer weather coming up and the crisis is probably only going to get worse and you know all these people coming across from Turkey to Greece is this deal really going to be able to slow that flow because of course the more migrants the bigger trouble it is for Greece the more grexit becomes a possibility etc cetera, etc. Cetera.
2: Um, well, I mean, so far, so good, I think we have to say, although, as you mentioned, the weather pattern uh, is probably a key uh, issue here, that the numbers have come down. I mean, in late 2015, you were talking three, four, five thousand 5,000 a day. Uh, that fell to about uh, 1,000 to 2,000 in early uh, this year, and now we're down to, you know, somewhere around 500. Uh, uh, So so numbers have come down But I think the reality here is that there are are sort of several tracks uh, That are going on here Because the reality is that there is now a border uh, uh, in Europe I mean, the Macedonian government have put up the barbed wire uh, And they have Mm -hmm. blocked uh, the northern Greek border Uh, So the deal with Turkey uh, uh, is a sort of an additional uh, uh, insurance, if you like And one that allows... Uh, Angela Merkel to nominally claim to the German electorate that she still uh, is in favor of an open door policy. But of course, she does that knowing very well that the Macedonians have actually uh, uh, already closed their border.
4: We call that heavy lifting, uh, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) uh, We're going to come back with Dr. Cooker. This is fascinating and really something we haven't addressed. There was a period, Mike, what, a year ago? Where four out of five days, we were Eurocentric and Greece-centric and Jacob Kierkegaard-centric. And we've been, you know, with, with a better financial or fiscal politics, we've been off the mark. We'll come back and continue this conversation. The Dow, negative 100 as we speak.
0: Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national
1: headlines. Mike, Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Republican Ted Cruz and Democrat Bernie Sanders are looking for victories in today's primaries in Wisconsin. If Cruz wins all of Wisconsin's 42 delegates, Republican frontrunner Donald Trump would need to win 57% of those remaining to clinch the Republican nomination. So far, Trump has won 48% of the delegates awarded. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders would need to win 67% of the remaining delegates to catch up to Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton. And so far, Sanders only has 37%. Police say there wasn't much left after a sightseeing helicopter crashed yesterday near the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in eastern Tennessee. All five people on board were killed former pilot and aviation consultant Steve Ganyard.
3: This is not like getting on an airplane and flying across the country. The safety record of these small helicopters is just not as good as it is as if you were getting on an airliner.
1: Iceland's Prime Minister has been caught up in the Panama Papers offshore tax scandal. People in Iceland are calling for Prime Minister Sigmundur David Gunnlaugsson to step down. Yesterday, about 10,000 people demonstrated outside Iceland's parliament Gunnlickson says he is ready to call early elections if he loses a no-confidence vote. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. Now, Michael Barr, Mike Tom.
4: Uh, Michael, thank you so much. Away to the tape, negative 112. The VIX, 15.45, up a full 1.33 points. With Jacob Kierkegaard, the Peterson Institute, this is Bloomberg Surveillance.
0: Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Engine Block & Engine, named best accounting firm in North America for the sixth year in a row by Hedgeweek.com.
1: Global Business News, 24 hours a day
0: at Bloomberg.com,
1: the Radio Plus mobile
0: app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
3: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by National Realty, 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA dot net. U.S. stocks are falling with the S&P 500 slipping for a second day from its highest levels this year amid simmering concerns that weakness in global growth will deepen. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 down 1% or 21 points to 2045. Dow Jones Industrial Average down 0, 0? 0? 0.8% or 134 points to 17,604. NASDAQ's down 1% or 46 points to 4845. Ten-year Treasury up 1330 seconds. The yield 1.71 percent, the yield on the two-year 0.72 percent. Ninex crude oil down half percent or twenty cents to thirty five fifty a barrel. Comex gold is up one point two percent or fourteen dollars seventy cents at twelve thirty-four an ounce. The euro $1.1359. dollar The yen one ten point four five. Valiant pharmaceuticals said a special ad hoc board committee has found no additional accounting issues of the company that would require more restatements and that it plans to file its annual report on before April 29th. Its shares are up nine percent this morning. Walgreen's boots alliances cost cut Measures help the drugstore chain beat analyst earnings estimates for the fiscal second quarter as U.S. same store retail sales dropped again and pharmacy revenue growth weakened because of a mild flu season. It shares lower down 1.8 percent. And that's a Bloomberg business flash. Tom and Mike
4: carrying a continued weight to the market this morning. Yen was at 110.60, now 110.44 stronger. Yeah, and in the last hour now or so. Jacob Kirk, have got a few more minutes uh, with him, if we could, this morning with the Peterson Institute. Jacob, people don't know that you have a cottage industry of looking at finance and linking it into economics. You were co-author of U.S. Pension Reform, Lessons from Other Countries. Um, all of us at Bloomberg Surveillance are wearing black. John Tucker uh, with his 201K, another successful investment. Here at Bloomberg Surveillance.
1: I'll be working with these two for the rest of my life. It
4: is a disaster, Jacob. Which country can we learn the greatest lessons from in fixing our retirement system? Well,
2: I think it depends very much here in the United States which particular pension system you're looking at. Uh, Because I think if you look at Social Security uh, in isolation, uh, it actually, compared to many other countries, doesn't look too bad but however if you look at uh, you know many state and local governments uh, uh that's when you head into the disaster areas um i think i would also say that one of the things uh that was striking uh, to me when i started writing this book Uh, was to discover, you know, just how big uh, the uh, differences or inequality, if you like, of of, um, retirement preparation in the United States is. I mean, somewhere between 40 to 45 percent of Americans have essentially zero uh, retirement uh, savings. And uh, that's obviously something that's going to come back. I mean, sorry, zero uh, private. uh, So they are stuck with only Social Security. Uh, and, and that is obviously something that's going to perpetuate uh, <coughs> uh rising inequality. Mm-hmm. So I would say one of the things that we could learn uh, from other countries to remedy that is that uh, – and this may not be very popular. It certainly wasn't when uh, we suggested it in the book. Uh, you know, if other countries have been more coercive, they have gone to essentially forced uh, pension savings – uh, so that it's it's basically an earmarked tax in the same way like a payroll tax uh, uh that goes to social security uh you have a a cut of your paycheck go into a uh a private pension and then that private pension uh is managed by right. uh, a, a you know approved set of um, mm. asset managers mm.
0: when you look at all the issues that we have been talking about and the outlook for europe the outlook for the United States. What's the follow-on? I mean, if if these things are not uh, handled correctly, do we have a crisis, a global crisis, or are we in a world where we just, on a you know month to month, year to year basis, we muddle through? Well, I
2: mean, I think uh, I forgot who coined. I think maybe it was Christine Lagarde who coined this new term, the new mediocre. Uh, And I think if you look at just the sort of long-term demographics uh, outlook for certainly for Europe, uh, but also uh, for the United States, if you look at the fact that we have seen slowing productivity growth, both on labor productivity and TFP, et cetera, uh, well, then we are, uh, you know, 2% is probably uh, where we are. And like it or not, we're just going to have to make do with that. Uh, and that clearly uh, uh, means that we're going to have to do right. uh, uh, a lot of things very differently.
4: Jacob, thank you so much. Jacob von Kurgaard is with the Peterson Institute on Europe, a little bit of a Europe day, the Euro uh, 113.56. We've dragged her in here. She said, no, our people talk to her people, and we say, come on, give us Cynthia. When you see the dead cat bounce a valiant, it's always an important time to talk to Cynthia Coons uh, uh, with Bloomberg News, and she's just bang up pharmaceutical reporting here as well. Okay, so they come out with the announcement, things are better, it pops 10%. It's already given it back, and it's a chart that's ugly, ugly, ugly. Where is this thing in 90 days?
5: Well, I think what has to happen in the next, say, 90 days for investors to get really comfortable is they have to file their financial reports. Audited financial reports. Audited financial reports. How original. And so what they've said here is that they're going to be able to do that, but they've said that a number of times, and the market's skeptical because you have to do that, and that's so important and so critical right now. So, So what they're saying is their internal investigation is done, but then they also say this wording leaves a little room here. They say the remaining work associated with looking into internal controls will be passed off to the board. So they're not saying that everything is in the clear here, and their auditors, PWC, is the one who signs off on it. Well, that's my
4: question. Who's driving the bus? The auditors, as PWC said to the board, stop it if you want us. We're going to make all the shots. Is Mr. Ackman working 18 hours a day at Valiant? Who's driving the bus? Well,
5: I'm I'm sure Bill Ackman is working very hard right now to try to get things heading in the right direction. What's also critical about this information and about them filing their financials is it goes a long way to helping them get a new CEO, because right now the question is, They obviously need a new CEO. They've said they're going to plan for a future without Mike Pearson, but if they don't have audited financials, it's hard to see a new person come in and want to sign off on those documents. So if they're able to push ahead and come up with a new industry, a CEO who has experience in the industry, that will also be really positive. But again, this is up to PwC of whether or not to sign off on these documents. So I think there's still some uncertainty here, and that's probably why the stock is starting to temper – some of its enthusiasm.
0: How much credibility does anybody on the board have at this point with investors?
5: Well, it's. It, I think investors would have liked to see a bigger overhaul of the board um, earlier on. And so we are looking at a board that... Pretty closely resembles the board that's been there for a while, and so so there is that. Um, there have been some additions, and but then some of the additions also came from the activist investor side. So it's more activist investors getting into the stock, and that's not exactly. What investors want, investors want pharmaceutical industry experienced people to come in and run this company like a pharma
4: okay. company. So what's Thomas Ross, who I, I don't even know, he's been medicated today, he's a member of the board, former president of the University of North Carolina, He probably, you know, getting over last night's basketball game where UNC uh, got crushed right at the end. What does he do? Does he just turn to Bill Ackman and say, what should I think? Where's the independent board here?
5: Well I mean there there are members who are considered independent interestingly they've all, they've been on the board for a long time um and now, it's Mr interesting. Ross for a
4: cup of coffee to be fair
5: And for for Mr Ross you're talking about someone in UNC and there's a you know Bob Ingram who's now the chairman of the board is in that based in that area and there's a lot of connections um people have pointed out to me a lot of members of the board that are um from that sort of to that area, the Raleigh-Durham area, which isn't necessarily uncommon, but the question is, are there some relationships there that these people have with one another that are longstanding? Um, but, so there's that. But I think what what Valiant needs, I think what investors want to see now is someone who's going to run the company like a pharma company. That is just not what they've done. They have not invested in R&D. They have not put the time into developing mm-hmm. products. Their launch for the female libido pill, uh, yesterday we reported that they cut the entire sales force. They're going to relaunch it some point later this year. We don't know when. Uh, so they haven't even been able to get that off the ground they They just haven't demonstrated what typical pharma companies can do, which is to develop and sell well, that's, drugs
0: that's my question and, and we only have a minute here so quickly what What did analysts feel the uh, prospects for the company going forward are as a standalone uh, entity are, are they going to be able to do what you're saying, or is the best thing for them to do is sell off the pieces?
5: Well, what it comes down to really is how they handle these debt negotiations and what they get from their lenders. So we also reported yesterday that they're getting some pushback, that lenders don't think what's on the table is good enough. And so really what it's going to come down to is how much leeway lenders yeah. give them to, to de- deliver on earnings. And that will be the true test about okay. whether or not they have the space to... To, to grow.
4: 30 seconds, can the sell side make a presumed buy-hold-sell call if they don't have audited statistics?
5: Well, they've been doing it so far, and they've had a lot of buys for a long time. Um,
4: I mean, David I th- Ansel, Anselm at Piper jeffrey has been a genius on the stock, and even he said – you know, we're flying blind.
5: It does make sense that a lot of them have suspended their ratings because you just don't know yeah. what numbers you're really working with. But uh, so I do get why a lot of them are now just holding off on 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 and making a decision.
4: Well, thank you so much, Cynthia Coons. Thank I you. think I learned nothing about Valiant there. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, Cynthia, it's not her fault. Va- I don't think we know.
0: Valiant shares up 7%. <laughs> Twitter, uh, She's up driven only. the
4: stock down a stick just yeah. sitting here.
0: Twitter up 1. 1.3% on their <laughs> NFL deal. Facebook down by almost two
4: percent. Cynthia Coons will uh, go off to some conference call somewhere and make us smarter on Valiant. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.